Thanks for joining us on the Bravo Dog Knowledge Podcast. I'm your host, Renee Erdman. I'm a certified dog trainer and behavior consultant and own bravodog.ca. Today, we're talking to Dr. Sazzy Todd of CompanionAnimalPsychology.com. She's an esteemed writer and actually a dog trainer and consultant herself, but she's busy writing so much that she doesn't do much training with clients these days. Today, we're going to talk to her about her paper, which is titled Barriers to the Adoption of Humane Dog Training Methods. Hello. Hello. Hi, Dr. Zazie Todd. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. It'll be great fun talking to you. Yes, lots of people were very excited to learn that you were going to be joining us. So welcome. That's nice. (laughs) Thank you. So Zazie, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. So I don't know. The main thing I do that people might know me for is for my blog, Companion Animal Psychology, uh, which is a blog about the science of how to have happy pets. And mostly I write about dogs and cats, um, but sometimes other animals are featured too. And I write about recent research because there's some really exciting canine and feline science happening and it's very very relevant to ordinary people and their lives but I also write about evidence-based ways to care for your pet Uh, and then on top of that I have a blog at Psychology Today called Fellow Creatures which is about us and our relationship with our animals Um, I have a business called Blue Mountain Animal Behaviour but I've been having to have clients on hold because I've been very busy writing a book that will be out next year about dogs. Excellent. Yes, your, your writing is very popular amongst, um, I guess, just a wide range of people from um, those that work in the um, animal industry and as well as the general public. So we need, Thank you. we definitely need more of the evidence-based writing and information, right? Which sort of brings us to, what we're going to chat about today, which is the paper that you wrote. So tell us a bit about this paper that you wrote. So I wrote this paper that was published last year in the Journal of Veterinary Behaviour, and it's called Barriers to the Adoption of Humane Dog Training Methods. And it's it's like a review paper. So I wanted to look at what science tells us about how people train their dogs and why they train their dogs in particular ways, because we know that Most people, well, backing up, we know that it's best to use reward-based methods to train your dogs. But despite that, most people use a mix of positive reinforcement and some positive punishment, such as leash jerks or scolding the dog when they train their dog. And because it is better for animal welfare to use reward-based methods, which we'll get into some of those reasons in a moment, I wanted to look at why people choose the methods they use and what ways we might have of influencing people because it would make a big difference to animal welfare if people were using methods that we know are safe and effective to use with dogs Um, and there's a wide range of things that affect people's beliefs and attitudes and experience and practice of dog training so I tried to look at all those different things and then put them together and because my background in the past I used to be a social psychologist and so I drew on a model from social psychology that looks at what influences people people's behavior and then it gives you ways of thinking about how you might be able to change people's behavior in the future so I 
that model, I, I drew on that model at the end of the paper to try and pull everything together into a way of thinking about what affects how people decide how they're going to train their dog or why people maybe decide to abandon using positive reinforcement or what we can do to encourage more people to use positive reinforcement because it would make such a difference to the welfare of dogs if people are using these safe, effective methods. Yes, you really can't separate working or interacting with animals and and their welfare, can you? That's right. And one of the things I talk about at the start of the paper is to do with um, animal welfare and dog training, because um, for a very long time, since about the 1960s, we thought about animal welfare in terms of the five freedoms, which are things that or we can think of them as needs for animals and more recently we've also been thinking about there's a model called the five domains model so we've been thinking about how we need to include opportunities for positive welfare and positive experiences to have good animal welfare so when we think about dog training um, unfortunately if we use aversive methods then it kind of falls foul of some of those five freedoms because when we use aversive methods, there's been various studies that show they have the potential to cause fear or stress, um, even though that's not intended by the people using them. Unfortunately, if we use punishment, positive punishment with our dogs, it can make them feel fearful and stressful. Um, and so when we look at the five freedoms, some of these problems that people have with their dogs, the problems may actually be due to fear and stress. And if we're using aversive methods, it doesn't do anything to solve the problem. So for example, someone might think their dog is being aggressive, but someone who looks at the situation might notice that actually the dog is really fearful. And if you're just punishing the dog for being aggressive, you're not doing anything to resolve that fear. And freedom from fear and distress is one of the five freedoms when we're talking about animal welfare. Yes. So of course, aversive methods in and of themselves can cause fear and stress. So that means, again, just simply by using them, we're not protecting that freedom, freedom from fear and, and distress. And then when we start to think about the need for positive experiences and that being an important part of animal welfare, um, then when we look at positive reinforcement training, that can actually be a really fun enrichment activity for dogs. And obviously it can be fun for the owner as well, but it's a way of providing nice experiences for dogs. And it can be cognitive enrichment because it challenges the dog to use their brain to work out what they're supposed to do. And so that means there's, there's kind of two sides to the issue of aversive methods in that First of all, they may cause problems, though they have these risks associated with them. And second, it means that dogs are missing out on what could be positive enrichment experiences from using reward-based training. Right. Yes. And you, and you notice, too, a link between how people parent, is that right, and how they also uh, work and train their dogs? Yes. In, in the paper, there are a few points where I draw on the literature from parenting because there hasn't been that much research on dog training compared to the amount of research on methods of parenting, especially on the use of corporal punishment on children, on which there's been a huge amount of research. And the research on corporal punishment with children is it's been going on for a long, long time, and it shows that using corporal punishment actually is bad for children. You get better results if you use other kinds of more positive parenting methods. So that 
in itself is a message that would be familiar to many dog trainers. Um, <laughs> but it also means that there's this big literature we can draw on about attitudes to corporal punishment and what effects it has in countries where corporal punishment has been banned. Mm-hmm. And some of this may therefore be relevant to when we're thinking about dog training. So as far as corporal punishment is concerned, we know that attitudes to the corporal punishment of children are a predictor of whether or not people themselves will actually use corporal punishment on their children. And it seems quite likely that that would also apply to dog training. Well, yeah, and, and let's hope that with the shift, at least I can only speak anecdotally when working with my clients, is the, the shift with parenting towards more positive methods. Mm. Um, for example, sleep training is one that comes up quite a bit with some with my clients is they don't, um, they think that letting the child cry it out is mm. not good. And so when they're raising their puppy, they often ask, oh, well, you know, I, I don't think that letting the puppy cry it out is is good either because you know we don't do that with our children so I'm not doing that with my puppy so it's interesting to see the link um, and and hopefully how things are shifting yes I think it's really nice that people can draw those parallels for themselves and I also do feel that things are shifting um, but I don't have empirical evidence for it. I think it may just be that I'm in a nice, lovely bubble where people read my <laughs> blog and, and say, yes, this is what we what we like to do. But it does seem to me that more people are using positive reinforcement and are keen to use positive reinforcement. And I think that's really, really nice and really, really important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So let's chat a little bit then about um, dog training methods and and um, the dog training in industry terminology, lack of re- regulation, that type of thing, and how that contributes to this, um, the barriers that we're talking about. Okay, well, I think for one thing, there is no regulation of dog trainers, um, at least here where we are. Um, <laughs> Um, There are moves to regulate dog trainers in some places, but that means that dog trainers don't necessarily have any education on dogs or dog behavior or how to teach people how to do things or any of that, which means, unfortunately, some dog trainers are not as good as we might wish them to be. And some dog trainers will recommend the use of aversive methods like shock collars, um, which is unfortunate. So I think that makes it very difficult for the general public if they just go and they find a dog trainer, they're looking on the internet, it can be quite hard for them to know what to look for, um, what kinds of methods they should be expecting people to use. And then also because of the terminology that people use, sometimes it is kind of obfuscated like it's not always very clear some dog trainers are fantastic and they have really clear statements on their websites that they use humane reward-based methods or they use positive reinforcement and they will use food to train your dog but others don't and so it makes it difficult for I think very difficult for owners to know what they should be looking for and if they're going to get a good dog trainer or not right Uh, And so we're lucky here because we have a recent development in BC with the BCSPCA and the launch of their animal kind certification for dog trainers, which makes it easy for people to go and look up and find a dog trainer who's been through the certification and who is committed to using reward based methods, but not everywhere. I mean, that's new here and it's absolutely fantastic. And I believe you're one of the first trainers to be certified through it, which is brilliant. Yes, yes, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm just happy to be part of something that's 
you know, hopefully can protect the public and, and, and the dogs that they live with. So um, yeah, those movements I think are, are help, helpful to the public and also just really important in such a murky field of, of um, something that just is so, um, gosh, you just have to think that the implications of, of cho- making the wrong choice can be disastrous um, for some people. So the only two, aside from the only two organizations, aside from the animal kind, um, and and I'm not aware of any others, is uh, are, is the APDT UK. Is that right? And the PPG, yes. which is the Pet Professional Guild. Yes, right. that's correct. Yeah. Yes. And um, and then just chatting a little bit too about the the there are certain countries too that they have outright banned certain um, not methods but tools. Is that correct? Yes, so some countries have actually banned the use of electronic shock collars, um, especially some of the countries in Europe, um, because of the concerns about the harm that they might cause or the risks of of harm. Um, And I think this is a really helpful step because it it means that people won't be going to a dog trainer and using them when they're maybe not appropriate. Um, Unfortunately, shock collars, the use of shock collars, is actually associated with poorer training outcomes, um, both for pet dogs and for working dogs, and with signs of stress, um, even when it's used by a trainer who is qualified to use it, as it were, who has taken special training in how to use an electronic collar. But most of the time when they're used, it's by ordinary people, and so we would expect the effects of stress or risks of stress and fear and so on, or associating the shock with the trainer themselves would be even worse. And I think that's that's an important thing to note. So several countries have banned the use of shock collars, and interestingly, there was a piece of research last year from France which has not banned shock collars, but it found that a lot of dog trainers were actually quite supportive of the idea of regulating their use. But at the same time, it also found that many people mistakenly thought that they were a good choice for dealing with behavior problems. And I think that shows that there's a big thing for people to get across the information that it's not the best choice, that use of reward-based methods is the best choice according to the scientific research. Um, and there was a, a new paper out by the European College of, well, basically what a European veterinary behaviorists, um, and they've argued for a ban of shock collars throughout Europe because of the risks of using them. Um, and they have a lovely paper which just goes through all the different pieces of evidence about shock collars, looks at all the reasons why some people say you should use them, and it actually demolishes all of them. And ultimately, they conclude that there is no justification for using a shock collar because you can get the same or better results from using positive reinforcement without the risks. Right. Yes. I wonder, we wonder if this will be um, something that eventually Canada or the United States moves towards. One can only hope. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So tell us a little bit about um, the findings uh, regarding dog owners, their knowledge and skills and techniques. So for dog owners, it's actually really interesting when there have been a couple of studies that have asked dog owners where they get their information on dog training from. And one of the most common answers is from themselves Mm. uh, rather than from from a dog trainer or something like that. And then 
one of the places they do get information from is from dog training books. Um, and that can be great because there are some fantastic books out there, but there are also some books that unfortunately are recommending the use of outdated methods. Um, and again, that's something else which makes it really difficult. It's, it's like the fact that dog trainers aren't regulated. It means it's difficult for the general public to go and get good advice because if they're lucky, they'll pick up a book that has really good information. But if they're unlucky, they'll pick up a book that is recommending completely outdated methods. Uh-huh. And some of these some of these books that have been around for a long time and have been very popular do have quite erroneous information in them there was a study done uh, by Dr Claire Brown who's at Waikato University in New Zealand and she looked at five popular dog training books and she and her colleagues had a list of things that they thought a good dog training book should include because it needs to include information about how dogs learn and it needs to explain what positive reinforcement is another you know basic information in learning theory and it needs to tell you things like how to teach your dog to sit. And so they developed this list of criteria and they went through in great detail five popular dog training books. And unfortunately, some of them did not come out well at all. Right. Yes. And uh, body language was another thing that looks like you've mentioned as well. That's just um, not it's not it's something not covered well. Yeah, that's something that is, again, not covered terribly well. And again, that we're people are just not always so used to learning to read. Um, And a dog's body language can tell us a huge amount of information. But unfortunately, if we're not able to recognize the signs of fear, anxiety and stress, then we can't do anything about it. So there might be situations in which dogs are afraid and we're not noticing, or it may be that way people are using methods which are aversive and they don't notice that their dog is becoming fearful or becoming stressed or something. And so they don't know that they need to change something. And it's interesting because there have been some studies about dogs at the vet and we all know that dogs sometimes find going to the vet stressful, but even with that knowledge, people don't always recognize when their dog is stressed at the vet or some people actually think their dog is stressed when their dog is fine. So it's something that comes with experience and with practice um, and, and education, but it's, it's something we all need to learn how to do. Mm-hmm. Yes, and you mentioned the, the veterinary aspect of things as well, which is a portion of um, what you looked at as well. And what did you, what were some interesting points that you had, had come across? I think vets have a really important role to play because sometimes vets will be the person who first learns that a dog has a behavior problem. And so they are able to point people towards trainers. And it's really important that they point people to trainers who will be professional and use reward based training methods. Um, And again, so we're here in BC and last year, West Coast Veterinarian, the magazine for vets in BC, published some guidelines on how to choose dog trainers that were aimed at vets that say, you know, you need to pick someone who has some education and who is professional and will use reward-based training methods. And I think that's really helpful because just as it's confusing for ordinary owners to find a good dog trainer, it's actually quite difficult for vets as well. They're still looking at the same pages where dog trainers may not make it clear what kind of methods they use. So I think vets have a really important role to play. And Another thing that's really positive here, I think, is actually the fear-free movement as well, mm-hmm. which aims to help pets have veterinary care without being stressed. Um, 
So that's really important. I think that makes a huge, huge difference when you're taking your pet to the vet. If you have a vet who is going to try and ensure that it's as low stress an experience as possible, because it's such a weird thing for dogs to do. But part of the fear free thing is obviously there's this commitment to reducing fear, anxiety and stress. So that means also thinking about the dog trainers that vets might refer out to. They need to use reward based methods and dog trainers themselves can sign up for fear free and become fear free certified. And that means that they they're going to be using, you know, scientific evidence based humane methods, too. Yes, it's really uh, pretty groundbreaking how how um, the fear free movement has taken off, um, how much they've expanded and and how well received for the most part it has been. Um, mm. So, it, you know, I, I think it's great. I've taken their initial program. I'm just halfway through their trainer dog trainer program as well. It's, I mean, um, it's great. That's like- <laughs> What's that? Are you halfway through it, too? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with all 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 our spare time, right? <laughs> but I th- I believe they they have a groomers um course as well that's coming out or I don't think mm. it's been released quite yet, but I think it's fantastic, you know, um bridging the gap between, you know, trainers and and the veterinary profession there which there can be a gap, there's just, you know, sometimes there's no communication. Um mm. and it is tough to decipher who who to choose and and who's safe to recommend to the public so um was there anything really um surprising to you in this uh when you uh did this review um well the thing is because a lot of these papers that i've referred to in the review are things that i already had written about on my blog anyway so there were lots of things that i knew about i think maybe some of the stuff about dog owners skills and techniques was quite interesting to me and some of that was a bit surprising in a way because um as you know as a dog trainer there is a lot of technique to actually training a dog and it's not just a question of the dog doing the thing and you give them a piece of food you have to get your timing right um because otherwise you might be accidentally reinforcing the wrong behavior for example and so i think some of those technical skills that people need to learn to be able to train a a dog well I think that's one of the other things that I found quite interesting and I would love to see some research on the best ways to teach these skills to ordinary people I think that would be really interesting absolutely yeah I really love that you um you did the hard work for us here and 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 reviewed (laughs) all these papers and studies and combined them into a very nice tidy package that um that we can look at um so I think it's excellent so just and just to sort of wrap things up, what, you know, what do you think just after after reviewing and writing this this paper, what do you think is the if you could pick one thing that is the biggest barrier right now that we need to chip away at that that prevents um, human dog training methods from really sort of taking over? The thing that I always say really is that you should use food to train your dog Um, and I always push that message because for one thing it's completely true it's it's such an efficient way of training your dog dogs love food you can find some food that every dog will like and and that will be within you know their, their dietary needs and their daily calorie needs but at the same time if you're using food to train your dog then you're also not using 
leash corrections or shot collars or anything like that. So that's the thing that I always pick. And I think actually the message is increasingly getting across that people do understand that it's okay to use food to train your dog. But when we look at the ways people used to talk about dogs in the past, that doesn't fit in. So I think that's a an important message to get across. If you just use food, that's going to help you deal with a lot of things. Yes, it's definitely still, I think it's a challenge for, for quite a few people still is, is the, um, and it's just a lack of understanding or perhaps they've, they've never um, used food and training before because they're, the dog that they've had previously was quote unquote easy. <laughs> um, but we know that using food is for all animals, um, not just the, the, the difficult um, or the ones that we're, yeah. we're actively working on specific training exercises with. So I think That's we just right. need to be, we need to be more generous just overall with our dogs, I think in terms of food and, and it to be just not such a big deal. Um, and there's, also, there's a lot of research on the reinforcements that dogs like in a training situation or just in general comparing, for example, food to petting. And a lot of people would really like it if they didn't have to do anything to motivate their dog. Because <laughs> it would be so much easier. But yeah. the research shows that food works best um, and that's what dogs like best and respond to best and learn faster. Um, or will, And the quality of the food is important as well. And I think Sometimes that is quite hard to get across that people need to use food because they're used to thinking of food is what happens at mealtimes, um, not as something that might happen and provide interesting enrichment. It's, it's food enrichment as well as training cognitive enrichment when they use food to train dogs. So I, th- I think that's a really important message to get across. Yes. And I, and I think a uh, missing link as, as well as the associative quality of of food for situations and new environments and, and to change associations as well. You know, Mm. that's, that's such an important use for food. So food for everyone, (laughs) we need food all the time. So it's a good thing. Um, Was there anything else that you wanted to add and share with us today? I think it was an excellent conversation about this paper. Thank you. Well, thank you for your interest in it. I've been really pleased at the response to it, which is really nice. And if anyone wants to know more about either the paper or any of this research, you'll find a lot of information on my blog, Uh, especially for the research. You'll find a list of dog training research resources where I list papers and then places where you can go and read about the papers for free because we don't always want to read the original paper. But every week I have a new story about something and I'd love it if more people came and read my blog. Hello. Hello, are you still there? I'm still here. We're still running. <laughs> Something so, went funny there. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but I was just asking uh, the website address for your blog. Okay, thank you. It's companionanimalpsychology.com. Wonderful. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us today. I think it was a great conversation. And we will talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on your podcast. Thanks. Take care, Zazie. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Bravo Dog Knowledge Podcast. If you like what you have heard, please leave us a review via iTunes so that we can continue bringing you good content.